I'm Wilson Lai. I'm Benjamin Yap. I'm Eli Sands. You're listening to Deep Cut. We're just three raw men talking about ramen. <laughs> Kill me now. <laughs> <laughs> On Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss that director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view the movies as they may want us to. Today, we are starting our exploration into one of my most recent director obsessions, Juzo Itami. And on this episode, we'll be discussing his most popular film, which is Tampopo, which was made in 1985. So Tampopo was not as widely received locally in Japan as opposed to like some of his other films, which includes his his first feature, The Funeral, which got him like a ton of award, like local nominations and awards for the film. And it really like blasted him into fame as a film director. But Tampopo was the film that really captured the eyes of critics and other directors out West and um, sort of is what Itami is known for in the more general like Western film canon. Um, And I Mm. think through the, through the decades has become, I think on average, his most popular film. And like, especially in like our circles People only know Itami for Tampopo. Like, I don't think that they... Like, there has been a slight creeping up of people watching other Itami films because of their availability uh, on streaming services like the Criterion Channel, which has, I think, it has all of his features um, and and the short that he made called Rubber Band Pistol, which is really good. But I, I think this Tampopo is sort of a great entry into a really deep filmmaking world that he has he had created in the 10 features that he made uh before his untimely death i think for me like i don't think i've really registered his name much when people talk about japanese Mm -hmm. film directors that i don't know whether you call it the canon but like when people talk about more famous japanese directors right Itami's name doesn't really come up that much, but Tampopo does come up as a itself, lot. just yes. as a film. Yes. And it's pretty interesting how how he doesn't really come up in conversation. So I'm really glad we're going to get into it. Yeah. And I've Agreed. only seen Tampopo at this point. <laughs> and I think it's, it's going to be really fun because the past like couple weeks gearing up to this, I sort of like caught up on... At this point, I have probably seen seven of Itami's wow. features. Mm-hmm. And they are all really unique in their own way but he is still able to maintain a a similar tone or attitude towards his filmmaking which is sort of like i will make what i want to make um it (laughs) like an interview that his wife and frequent collaborator as an actress nobuko miyamoto she gave an interview on one of the like the anniversaries of tempopo and they were talking about after his first feature, The Funeral, what he wanted to make next. And he was sort of debating 
on what to do to to make the most like commercially viable film. And she says that she told him, why don't you make a movie that you want to make? And that mm. is what birthed Tampopo. I'm really glad that you chose Juzo Itami Wilson. I'd love to know some more about his life. Yes, I'm going to give a very brief intro to his life. And I think I'm going to sort of quickly gloss over the end of his life because I want to maybe talk about it a little more next week Ooh, when we okay. get into Supermarket Woman. And I will talk about Supermarket Woman in the context of some of his other features, which might have gotten into Muddy Water, which might or might not have led, led him to his death. I'm, I'm saying a lot of things Whoa. that are that are very... <laughs> nothing's well, confirmed. Sounds like nothing's speculation. Confirmed. There's a lot of speculation, <laughs> but I think there's a lot of there's a lot of evidence in favor of the of the speculation. I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have no context whatsoever. <laughs> but, I think I would rather like introduce us to like his world and like all the good stuff first, and then and then we'll, we can we can get into the more sour stuff next week. Um, oh boy, that's but, a nice uh, pitch for our next week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Juzo Itami was born in Kyoto in May 15th, 1933. He was the son of a renowned satirist and film director, who was his dad. After failing a college entrance exam for a uh, college of engineering at Osaka University, Itami started veering into more artistic industries like a commercial designer, a TV reporter, a magazine editor, an essayist. Uh, he finally started studying acting and started acting in 1960, was doing a lot of work there, married an actress, got divorced to an actress, and then he was working with a, another popular Japanese director, Nagisa Oshima, on a film, A Sing a Song of Sex. And that's where he met his future wife, Nobuko Miyamoto. <laughs> and they married in 1969. Nice. I think it's a really important nice. relationship to have <laughs> because she's basically been in all of his films and she has been the lead in most of his films. And I think when talking about Itami's work as a whole, it's impossible to to not talk about Miyamoto's work alongside his work. Mm. He directed his first feature at the age of 50, which is already pretty old. Oh, wow. He made The Funeral, and it really, like, kick-started him as, a, like, a film director. And the movie that we're going to talk about today, Tampopo, is what gave him the international acclaim um, and it is his self-described ramen western. Before I was like making this note sheet, I put at the top of the episode, what the fuck is a ramen western? And um, after watching the documentary, the making of documentary, which was really helpful in my research for this episode, he very clearly explains why Tampopo is a western. He says, it is like Shane, but about ramen. I have not seen Shane, but <laughs> he, that, I, I guess it makes sense to him. I, I see it. I see it. You see it. You see it. I, I think you have a lone 
trucker or a trucker with a, a sidekick who comes into town, finds a rundown ramen shop, helps the lady who runs the ramen shop to become the best ramen shop in Japan, and then leaves at the end. So it is sort of like a, a lone rider coming in to, to, save, to save the day. Is, is that what happens in Shane? I don't fucking know. <laughs> is that like a bar in Shane that, that needs to be spruced up? <laughs> okay, sorry. I don't know Shane either. In the Western, there's the classic lone rider who comes into town and often staves off a threat, either gets rid of a bad person or helps protect the town from external threat. In Tampopo, of course, there's no external threat, but it's just about surviving as a ramen shop and perfecting a craft. Yeah. The other component that I see is that Goro and Tampopo assemble a little community around the shop, like a little family mm. of people who are working on the shop to help Tampopo improve her skills. You brought up a really good point there, Eli, about the family. And I think this is a really big through line uh, through Itami's films is that he always likes to have a large cast and even though mm. Tampopo is probably on the end of the spectrum which is probably the most like fragmented film that he's made in his other films he always manages to get like all his like regular players in a bunch of faces that mm. you you see in this film you will see again when we watch our next movie next episode I think he, being an actor turned director, you can really tell that Itami loves working with actors and how, as an actor, you can, like, sort of make yourself malleable enough to embody such different characters. And he does this most prominently with uh, Miyamoto because she stars in a lot of his films. But the types of women that she gets to play is so like absolutely mm. incredible and probably so fun to embody. Um, I keep on thinking about Jenna Rollins and uh, Cassavetes and that working relationship. And although the tones of Itami's work and Cassavetes' mm. work are mm. so incredibly far from each other, <laughs> the types of characters that he just, gets... Sorry, they, just try to think of a... Ca- Cassavetes version of Tampopo now. A Cassavetes Tampopo would be so crazy and deranged. Uh, <laughs> deranged, okay. Like, yeah. just, you know, like, sad, right? Like, because it's not going to be, like... Angry. Like, fun and sexy. It's just going to be, like, sad and, like... Sad and unsexy. And sexy. <laughs> <laughs> like, people will be sad naked, but it'll still be unsexy. <laughs> and, like, crying <laughs> while eating noodles. <laughs> it's just cup noodles, right? Would be rough. Would be rough. Noodles in the nude. Before we get really into Tampopo, I'm going to close out this director bio by saying he made a movie called Mimbo, The Gentle Art of Japanese Extortion. The movie is about how this woman played by Nobuko Miyamoto comes into this hotel, which is overrun by gang members, and she helps the hotel deal with gang members through... They just, like, try different strategies, and it's just very fun. That sounds great. It, it is It is really great, and and how they, like, stick up to the, to the different gang members. After it was released, Itami was attacked by members of... A Yakuza clan, of course. and he was slashed in the face. <laughs> what? And he he actually talked about it in an interview that he gave to the New York Times. Um, and it was very like scary about how I guess 
his film was so effective that it actually struck a chord with real Yakuza. But uh, I guess that is sort of related to his his death, which he, he was... It was an apparent suicide where he he fell off of the roof of a building where his office was located, and then they mm. found a, a suicide note saying that he was falsely accused of an affair and he, he like took his life. But subsequent reports seem to say otherwise, especially with his history with the Yakuza. And he's also like after he got attacked by the Yakuza, he was not really he was still a a, a big proponent for fighting against the Yakuza. And I don't think they had they never had a stable relationship. Um, ever since that start, him and the Yakuza yeah. just had an unhealthy, toxic relationship. Yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> don't we all? Was, don't we all have bad relationships with gigantic, I don't know, organizations of organized crime? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. But that is, I guess, the main reason why his his death is a little iffy to to, to talk about and to make claims about mm. because. Yeah, I also don't want any Yakuza member to to come <laughs> after to come after us. This Fair enough. really lowly film podcast. Um, that the, the deep cut is for movies, not not for my face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. But let's dive into this bowl of ramen. What do oh, you guys boy. think of this movie? Hungry, hungry for the hungry boy. <laughs> and th- this is not the first time. This is everyone's. Plus one time of seeing the yeah. movie. Yep. It's as good as I remember. It's so much fun. <laughs> That's all I can say. Right? Like, I got really lucky because when I first watched it, I managed to watch it on a big screen. So that was incredible to be engulfed by a gigantic bowl of ramen. Yeah. And it really just holds up and you're surprised by how well the tangents kind of come together. Like it's pretty much random. <laughs> How they kind of just string these vignettes of food-related stories together, but it works. And you never feel lost or confused by what the hell you're looking at. And it's pretty interesting uh, how he keeps your attention throughout everything. I was just paying really close attention to all those kind of tangents. And every single one of them is interesting. They're all mm-hmm. fun. And they they're, are. Okay, maybe not all necessarily completely fun. <laughs> Some dark and morbid, and even those are really well done. What do you mean cooking a, a meal for your family on your deathbed can't be fun? <laughs> oh, that's exactly the one I was thinking about. That's that's the, maybe the one vignette that doesn't work for me, but we'll get into that. It really I was laughing the entire time this I time I was like, watching it. I was just like, this is dark. And, it's insane. Uh, yeah, it's pretty insane. Actually, maybe it does work. I don't know. We'll talk about it. I first encountered Tampopo at its restoration a few years ago. I watched it at the Film Society of Lincoln Center, now known as Film at Lincoln Center, a slightly less cool name, if you ask me. (laughs) I love seeing it on the big screen. I went to go see it alone at an afternoon showing. I think I double featured it with The Handmaiden, which was kind of a wacky choice. (laughs) Why? And then... Immediately after I saw Tom Popo, I went to a ramen place that was right next door to where I was living at the time. And Uh. it was great because this movie, it absolutely loves food. And there's a special place in my heart for movies that love food. It conveys the joy of cooking for people 
of eating good food and eating good food in company with people you care about. Mm. It's such a vivacious movie. Really fun watch. I love it. I was also so lucky to see it for the first time on a Can't big screen. We're all three very lucky. I know. <laughs> uh, I saw it at the Wesleyan Film Series. Shout out to the Wesleyan Film Series when um, mm. they programmed it one night. And I was like, this has been on my watch list for ages. I have to go and see it. And I saw it. And it was one of the most incredible movie going experiences I've ever had. And the only horrible, horrible, horrible thing um, is that when I got out of the theater, it was too late to go to edit to get any food. <laughs> um, That's and tragic. I had to, I had to settle for I, I guess I had to settle for a grilled cheese, um, which That's is okay. Not a That's not a, not a bowl of ramen, but it, it is a very hearty meal. And yeah. I love Tampopo so much. I'm a massive food fan. I love ramen i love japanese food iron chef australia <laughs> master chef australia eli ah, whatever. got it wrong <laughs> <laughs> i spent 10 minutes plugging it in our oh, I remember. best of 2020 episode. 10 minutes you got edited it down <laughs> um <laughs> but i personally get a lot of joy eating food and making food for people and just watching people mm. eat and this is just the embodiment of why I love food. And it is like a lot of other Itami films. It is a movie that is showing people who are good or who become good at what they do. And mm. I just love watching that happen. It's like the it, it it sort of like goes back to Wiseman. It's like it's <laughs> mm. the it's showing the like the business of business mm. and the business in this film is food, um, which mm. is incredible. The film critic Mike D'Angelo has I mean he has one of the popular reviews of Tampopo on Letterboxd and he has a really interesting take on it, which is I think bang on, which is that it's honestly a better comparison to sports movies than it is to a Western. Yeah. Because it essentially is a very long training montage. It really is. With random tangents, but yeah. It's essentially just Tampopo getting good at making ramen. That's it. And going through the training and learning about ramen. If you think about it, the whole plot of the movie is a process sequence, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about the process of getting better at this craft. And that is also similar to a sports movie or other sort of getting better at craft movies like whatever whiplash black swan whatever you want to say they have mm -hmm. shared dna for sure and what's so great is now that you know this most of his other features especially with the ones that nobuko star is in are just like this but in different contexts in different All sports settings. movies <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wait what <laughs> that's great so you think supermarket woman is about her becoming a really good supermarket woman i don't know what that means Ooh, <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see ben you might be right Whoa. on the ball on that one <laughs> what is a super like a person who works there or a person who shops there a person who works there and manages oh. a supermarket <laughs> it's, okay. it's gonna be such a blast <laughs> i can't wait to talk about that movie <laughs> but this <I> movie <laughs> a really fun element that's baked into that kind of sports movie mold is that there is an implicit promise that the protagonist is going to win and get good at what they want mm. to get good at right that provides a safety net under the movie that 
permits space for the vignettes and digressions so that even when the plot is not marching forward, you're just having fun and going with it and you know that it's going to end up okay. That's the promise of a comedy in general, perhaps, but I think also in a sports movie. I mean, he, he, he straight up just has like very sports type images and actions and music yeah the music as well she was in a speed cooking and she does the gymnastics pose yeah <laughs> and then he has a stopwatch like that stuff is great and she's running like i really love all that kind of stuff and the way that he's just mashing random ideas together to to form a really kind of funny situation that is kind of heightened but also makes sense is really joy to watch it is i guess a very simple premise and a simple plot but I think that the addition of the tangential scenes really, like, balance it out and add weight to the other, like, chunks of the film. Mm. And also is, a, like, a good breather um, for the audience who is really invested in Tampopo's character and wanting her to succeed. But also there are other interests, like 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 sex and, and <laughs> <laughs> French food. <laughs> The thing that I find in common with all the vignettes is that it is about the ways in which food connects people. Should we talk about the woman who dies cooking her la- the last meal for her family? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there are a series of vignettes. vignettes. I tried to write. I tried to write them all down. I, I wrote them all down. Did you write them all down? So, so the first one is during the middle of a training montage that we have. Uh, you see Tampopo and Goro, who's who's tr- who's the cowboy figure who's training her. They're they're going on a run, and then you see a group of businessmen like sort of like walk towards the camera, mm-hmm. uh, and you're like, "What's going on here?" And then the camera just decides to to like leave Tampopo and Goro and follow these businessmen. Um, and the first tangent is these rich people ordering French food and and not really knowing, knowing. what to order, and then the the lowliest like assistant who is joining in on this meal <laughs> um, <laughs> has the greatest food knowledge and really shows off uh, his, his all his ordering skills in front of them and embarrasses all the other CEOs of this company, and it's so fun. And there's like this really jittery handheld camera movement as they walk into the room and mm. the, the waiter goes around to each of them that gives you a sense of unease that the the businessmen are feeling in the moment uh with unable to <laughs> to understand the food that they're ordering at the end the, the last bit of it is really great because he he finishes his order the assistant who is really cocky with his order and then it pans to the, all the other um, businessmen on the table and their faces are bright red and like it, unrealistically it, so unrealistically yeah. bright red <laughs> and in the document in the making of documentary um itami probably devote five minutes of this documentary just talking about how he did different screen tests with different powders to to achieve the reddest look that he could possibly get. (laughs) Um, There is so much that you learn from about this movie from the making of documentary. It is 
insane. I think it's my favorite making of documentary I've ever watched. Hmm. It is. It Tommy narrates the entire thing, and like when he talks about his actors, he just he 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 runs through like every single actor in this movie and gives them like a sentence and like why he chose this person for the role, mm-hmm. why they're great for the role, or how mm-hmm. he worked with them before, and he highlights like cinematographers the food stylists the sound editors and shows different aspects of the filmmaking process that includes like time spent in like costume fittings and him explaining over narration like why costuming is so important and this is so interesting for us as like film lovers but also as a person who doesn't know that much about movie making on a large scale. I think it is very um, informative because he sort of like guides you through it with his narration on what makes a movie and and what is important to note and um, who are the people that you have to rely on. Mm. And it is really, it's such a joy to watch him gush about his crew members because... that is that is very important. He's making a community too. It sounds like he cared about found families and teams both on screen and off. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I want to go back to that vignette, the one about the... I, I call him an intern in my notes because that's kind of how <laughs> they treat him. It's emblematic of many of the... Men, not all, but many of the tangents that he's able to use a very short scene to kind of not just talk about food, but also about culture in general, which I think Mm. is very interesting because what you have here is essentially a comment on social hierarchy, right? Like, and it sounds like I'm maybe making it sound more intellectual than it is, but it's very, it just makes sense when you watch it. Like, like, yes, in a company, there is a CEO, there's an intern, but it doesn't mean that that power structure appears in all facets of life, right? You can have the intern show the other guy, uh, for this moment, it's food, but it kind of makes this comment about how like power is not simple. How intelligent or how smart you are is not dependent on your position in a company or whatever. And I find it really interesting. And the following vignette after that is the one where the ladies are learning spaghetti eating etiquette. <laughs> yeah. And that's also really interesting because it's a comment about cultural exchange, right? Because you have Japanese women learning how to eat spaghetti. And then there's a white guy who is eating spaghetti. Like Ooh. it's ramen. <laughs> yeah. And he's eating it. I mean, it doesn't say like where he's from, but in a sense, America. Spaghetti is a white kind of food. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and you have these Japanese women trying to learn how to eat spaghetti the right way, and he's slurping it up. And then it's just a very interesting juxtaposition to hear a Japanese woman telling you the right way to eat spaghetti and then watch a white man just do it exactly the opposite way that she's saying. And watching chaos ensue when all the Japanese ladies are just gulping it down. (laughs) It says a lot about how etiquette as an idea travels to a different country, but doesn't necessarily stay in its country of origin, right? Mm. And that's just fascinating to think about. And it's such a throwaway scene. And it makes that kind of juicy comment and then just leaves it. The other thing that these two vignettes, which are back-to-back in the movie, is ringing humor out of is that both of the groups of Japanese characters in these vignettes are looking at European or so-called Western culture as the Mm. superior 
or so-called Western culture as the marker of superiority, right? The intern is so high class because he understands French culture and French cooking. And the group of Japanese women are trying to eat in the ostensibly polite, quiet Western way. Mm -hmm. But Itami is poking holes in that and wringing humor out of that hierarchy, out of that cultural hierarchy, which is, of course, fallacious. And, oh man, then this just loops back in you thinking about the fact that this movie is about ramen, which is a food enjoyed by everyone in Japan, Mm -hmm. right? Which they show throughout the whole movie, like people of all walks of life. And in a sense, they're in a sense elevating the art of ramen making. Yeah. And they're elevating it, but at the end of the day, Tampopo's style of ramen that they keep saying is that they're trying to make normal ramen the normal way. And that's mm-hmm. the so-called epitome of ramen, normal ramen, <laughs> which is really interesting Like as a, as, as a way of going at this. You know, she's not trying to make, you know, weird French fusion ramen, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I've seen this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like there's this lobster bisque ramen place in Singapore. Yeah, so okay. they're not well, trying I've to be fancy. Well, I've had lobster bisque ramen and it's really good. Just so you That's know. Good. I'm sure it's good. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just really interesting. Like, he's just trying to say, you know, this back to basic stuff. This is still just as good as all other food, right? Yes. And that form fits function in other places, too. Like, thinking about the choice of genres of Western and comedy, it keeps it accessible to a wide audience while still having specificity and an incisive thing to say about culture and nationality. Mm -hmm. And... I also think that accounts for Tom Popo's international success as well. Definitely. Mm. And that may reminds me of something that uh, Nobuko Miyamoto said in an interview where she said that there were three things that Juzo Itami aimed for when he was making his films. The first, that they have to be surprising. The second one <laughs> is that they have to be fun. And the third one is that anyone can understand them. And that's like such a baseline level. But if you like have that mentality when you approach making like every single scene in your movie, it really ends up making it such a joyful experience to watch the movie. And I think he is always considering audience enjoyment. And that is like at the top of his mind at like every point when making this movie. Now that we're still on the vignettes, what are your favorite? <laughs> what are your each of your favorite vignettes from this? I'm trying to recall them all. Um, okay, <laughs> I'm gonna run through a few things that I know now. There's a sex scene and the oyster scene, a little related. The yes. dentist scene, really interesting. Ice cream kid, <laughs> ice cream kid, which is this connected also to connected to the dentist. Yes. Yeah. Um, then. My favorite one, yeah, my favorite (laughs) one is the Peach Grandma, where an old lady runs into a grocery store and just molesting everything. (laughs) Like, what the heck? It's, like, horrifying to watch in such a funny way. You're like, why are you doing this? (laughs) (laughs) So aggravating to watch. (laughs) Uh, the physical comedy in that scene is so great with the clerk that's chasing after mm. her. And, and her face is so funny when she is first caught with the peach. Yeah. And then she's just like, oh, and then she just kind of <laughs> drops it. There's no, you know, big question here, but it's just really fun. 
You yes. know what I mean? And really well constructed and just takes because that person exists. The person who goes around to supermarkets and just pokes all the <laughs> all the food. That's a thing that happens. Especially in Asian supermarkets. It happens all the time. So like or Asian wet markets. But you're like projecting your own exists. like <laughs> so, it's really funny how like, this, this scene. cultural touchstone is being used to create just one all-timer of, of a comedic scene. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> My favorite series of vignettes has to be the gangster in the white suit and yeah. his partner. Here white we go. Suit. There's so much to dig into here, but just as a sort of thesis, I love that it is so funny and absurd in the ways in which they use food and talk about food in their relationship. And at the yeah. same time, it's incredibly sweet and sincere. And they have a genuinely happy, mm. loving relationship that's lighthearted and sexy and fun. Obviously, the Tom Popo plotline is the heart of the movie. But mm-hmm. this plotline with the gangster <laughs> and his partner is just another really nice encapsulation of everything that Itami wants to say about food and how it brings people together and the kind of relationship that these two have that is based on food and love of food and each other. There's a reason this is kind of like the the B plot of the film, right? Yes. Mm. Because Tampopo's plot line is kind of like this pure it's expression. PG. It's PG. Yeah. <laughs> PG, exactly. <laughs> That's what I meant by pure. <laughs> P- a PG version of like a love of food, you know, and there's an arc there. Yeah. Here is like the love of food is erotic and intense and sexual and it is and it's primal you know what i mean and there's a reason the film ends with uh, a baby breastfeeding which is just exactly genius final frame like you come into the world all you want to do is eat yeah you know and where are you where are you eating from it's in a way, it's kind of it's sexual. A it's so, a teat. No, this is so, it, it's not no. in a way. So in the documentary, Itami oh. narrates that for the white suit and his in his lover storyline, he wanted to rejoin food and sex in people's lives. Mm-hmm. He said that when you come into this world, food and sex are so linked because you are li- literally. Mm-hmm. Sucking milk out of a, a tit. A tit. <laughs> and he wanted to to rejoin the joy in in having both sex and food at the same place. And that sounds so perverse, but it's so fun. You know, like but it's it doesn't come off that way, you know? It doesn't come off as like this thing that's gross or anything. It's just it's a little gross, but yeah. <laughs> it's still very fun. I think it's because Whenever sex comes up in Tom Popo, there is an innocence to it. It is about the pure joy and eroticism of those moments. Mm-hmm. There's no power dynamic. And there, I read more of an innocence in that final frame mm. that, yeah, you come out of the movie wanting to eat. And I think you also come out of the movie wanting to love and like connect with mm. people. Yes. Mm. Food is love. I think that the sex between the gangster and his partner has a real innocence and joy and lightness to it. Yes. It's silly. Even the egg yolk scene. The yolk. The yeah. infamous oh, egg yolk scene. Um, so if you if you know Tapopo and you know of the movie, but you haven't seen the movie, I'm pretty sure you know the most 
famous scene from the movie is when Iconic. <laughs> this egg yolk is being passed from white suit's mouth to his lover's mouth, back Raw to white suit's yolk. mouth. Raw egg yeah. yolk. And it passes seven times. You before... count it, okay? <laughs> no, because in the doc, they rehearse it. So you're like, on the seventh time, she has to bite into it, and it has to has to come out. That's what he said. That's what he said. Okay. Uh, and they got these really premium quality eggs, which was provided with. I'm gonna say the name of the the person, Seiko Ogawa, who's the food stylist. Major shout out to. Yeah. Seiko yes. Ogawa, who put in a lot of work sourcing all the food in this movie. Mm. Um, like a and thousand bowls of ramen. <laughs> thousands of bowls of ramen. And she made it every day. They, the crew called it the Seiko ramen oh. after her. And they did countless camera tests just shooting ramen just to find out which bowl of ramen, which way to cook it looks best on camera. And what if it tastes good? Does it taste good? I'm sure it tastes good. I'm <laughs> it sure it tastes good. good. She cooks She cooks the entire thing. She like she fully mm, cooks the whole meal. Ramen. But she sourced really high quality eggs that don't break easily to use in this scene. <laughs> and it is like, oh, oh, it is a long take. It The camera just tracks back and forth between the two of them in a tight close-up most of the time. And it is sexy. There is no backing. There is no background music. It is just they're they're breathy (laughs) (laughs) passing of the egg. But I think that's important, too. There are moments elsewhere in the movie when Itami uses stylistically overt edits or music, and there is a simplicity and an honesty and just staying on the couple without cuts, without non-diegetic music, and just observing as they share this Mm -hmm. moment. And yeah, it's the absurdity is entirely in the action, but it's still innocent and sweet and a moment of connection Mm. for them. And definitely it's of course, needless to say, directly a metaphor for the build to an orgasm, right? The bursting of the yoke is this moment and the way she reacts to the bursting of the yolk is clearly very suggestive, <laughs> but it's mm. still innocent in a way. I mean, this is related, which is another vignette, which is the pearl, um, the oyster diver. Mm. I was like, this is, this is kind of getting weird. Yeah. That's uh, maybe a little pushing it a little bit, but I was just like, cause she's, she's clearly very young. Right. Yeah. yeah. I was like, Whoa, this is a little strange. But I think, I mean, he, I think is trying to play it as a sort of, not really loss of innocence, but maybe more of a growth yeah. into a sexual maturity. And it doesn't really come off as especially icky. It kind of works. There's a bit of an imagery there because we all know oysters are... are an aphrodisiac. Yeah, but also kind of a symbol for... Uh, for a vagina. For... Yes. <laughs> I wow, was like, how is the best way to say this? Pretty sure on deep cut. Thanks, Wilson. <laughs> and also, the gangster cuts his lip and there is blood yeah, the on blood the oyster, suggesting menstruation. The yeah. And so that, uh, it's kind of done pretty well and like it works. It's weird that they use the gangster in this situation, uh, maybe, but it, it's kind of, then you have the other oyster divers just looking at her, making out with him or, or licking the blood <laughs> off his lips. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> but 
Yeah, I just I find it like even with that, I think there's some care that he yeah. has, like even going towards something that's a little bit more on the edge. Like if you were to place Juzo Utami on one of those like D and D alignment charts, he is definitely chaotic good. He's like definitely yeah. fully chaotic good. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, my favorite sort of vignette is it's it's part of the Tampopo plot, but it's it's a little bit like a coincidence, which is actually the old man in the sober shop. Because that scene almost made me cry because, like, this old man just wants to enjoy life. And I guess his helper yeah. or assistant or whatever is like... It's his mistress. Oh, his mistress. Okay, I was like, I'm not oh. sure. It's just telling him, don't eat all this stuff. And he immediately orders exactly all those things that she said. And then goes from tasting each thing and then to full-on gobbling all those things. <laughs> which then causes him to choke and almost die and saved by the Tampopo crew. And... Same thing with talking about being born, like even in death. And you think about the gangster's death, like the last thing on their minds is to eat the best thing. Yes. And there's something just so sweet about that. Fun fact, that scene was shot in a long take. Mm -hmm. And Hideji Otaki, who plays the old man, ate two full bowls. One bowl of duck soba noodles and one bowl of tempura soba noodles. And he did it for two takes so he had four bowls of of full bowls of (laughs) and and itami made a decision prior to this that he was just like he was i'm not gonna do coverage i'm just gonna just play out in this one shot and we're just gonna use the blocking to to move Mm. the scene along yes you said the word blocking (laughs) that's where i want to go in the shot you you see the tampopo crew minding their own business, mm. and then your your eyes are focused on the old mm-hmm. man as he eats, and he starts choking, and then the, the other Tampopo crew comes uh, over and helps him, and then they start... They start turning him over, like his his yep. his legs are up, and then the they, vacuum comes. In. Yeah, they reconfigure <laughs> the the whole like frame of the scene. There are a bunch of long takes in this there, that are, there are very well blocked, and I, I came up with a term for specific moments where I was like, "Wow," which is chaos blocking. <laughs> which this scene is the exact scene, the way, exactly what you described. I was like, the blocking in this like scene of absolute chaos and speed. Right, when they start picking him up and everything, it's so messy. Yeah. But done precisely that but not in a way that feels staged. That feels really real and yeah. Like realistically, authentically messy. And he has many scenes like this, like when you have like the fight, the one of the early fights in, in Tampobo Shop has that kind of messy quality. And I think there are so many scenes where you just look at a block and you're like, wow. Like, they probably spend so much time thinking about all the little elements and things that have, have to happen. And then mm-hmm. especially in scenes like the one we're talking about in the sober shop, where so many things are going on that they somehow nail it, and I guess two takes, is pretty incredible. <laughs> and it's thematically linked to what Tom Popo wants to talk about with people coming together, right? Think about the scene with the old man choking. It's the Tom Popo crew coming into the old man's half of the frame in order to mm. save his life. And I think Mm -hmm. often in these long take shots, even ones about violence, like the fight that happens under the overpass, it is people coming into each other's part of the frame to interact and come together. And in extension of that, how the old man repays the Tampopo crew is that he lets Shohei, his driver, who is a a ramen master, 
come help Tampopo in her training in the shop. And it like grows the crew a little bit. It is so great. So heartwarming. Just before we completely leave the gangster behind, as Ben said, he he's thinking about the best meal that he wants to eat with his partner and to share that moment together. And it is so funny as he's dying. You're like, why is he talking about pigs? And then when he gets to the line about yam sausage, it's so <laughs> funny. It's so funny. And, and it's and, also sweet and sad. Yeah. Also his commitment to falling over every time he gets shot. Oh, extremely. I was just like, this guy is just taking every single fall. <laughs> I will try to stop talking about this behind the scenes documentary. <laughs> but it highlights a lot of the key scenes of this movie. And it has direct BTS footage of the scene itself being filmed just from another angle. Oh. And you you see him like really going through it. And they have like the rain machines on. And he's like shivering in, in between each take. Yeah. And that's oh. real commitment as an actor. That's the wonderful thing about a director who can really bring a team together behind the scenes to work and create the movie is that everyone wants to give 110%. Actors, technicians, supporting crew members, Everyone is firing on all cylinders and I think enjoying it. That's the sense that I get mm. from Tom Popo. Yes, it's true. And it's, you know how you th- we talk about films that we love and most of the time it's like, oh, that set was horrible. The director was so mean to people. <laughs> and it, it like sort of sours right. the view of the movie in your head. But yeah. when the opposite of that happens, it strengthens the movie in your head yeah. and it makes it uh, like just a more solid a solid film in your in your mind and uh, it just makes me so happy that Itami is just one of those directors mm-hmm. um and there are just so many great moments in this doc where he like just narrates like very good wisdom as a director like <laughs> at what point Nobuko's trying on costumes for um the role of Tampopo he keeps on going through so many options and he explains to the listener or the viewer um that film is a concrete art so I had her try on everything um mm. and it, it's just just so many ways to see how he he sees his movie visually and also on an on an acting level and the way that he talks to his actors it's just so interesting to how he, how he has all the the little like action details mapped out in his head like oh after he does this you're gonna like chuckle a little and it's, it's like even the, the small things it's just all mapped out it does sound it's like he has a lot of vision about every minute thing that's going on in the frame yeah which it's controlled chaos. I don't think every director is able to do that because sometimes not all directors want to control so much either because there's artificiality to that. And here I would say there is a heightened world, but there is authenticity to everything Mm, that he's able to generate despite the so-called control that he has over what's going on. Um, Yeah, and it's, it's a very difficult balance to get when you're directing anything something that I was thinking about when I was watching the film. I knew about that sports analogy. Yeah. But then I was thinking, what's the difference here? Like in sports, you do the thing, you score the goal, you do the touchdown, blah, blah. (laughs) And that's the moment of glory. But with ramen, you do all the work. And then there's that wait for you to spectate somebody else watching it. Yeah. 
and enjoying it. And that that is so different. Like you have yeah. to watch somebody enjoy the thing you made. And that's kind of similar to what he's saying. Like you need time to see other people enjoy your work. And that's when the magic of the film like shows itself when mm. you see somebody enjoy it. Right. Making food is a labor of love. And I believe that mm. making movies is also a labor of love. Yeah. And mm. um, it's sort of poetic that he, he, he made, mm. made a movie about making food. Because it's making love. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, made a move about making love. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Deep Cut Pod. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description below. Thank you to Justina Yam for her beautiful artwork. I'm Wilson. I'm Ben. I'm Eli. Take care, and we're looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time.